How old are you? 18. Me too. How old are we really? 17. Me too. Actually, I'm 16. <sighs> Me too. Isn't it funny? The truth just sounds different. I'm 15. Cameron Crowe was just 13 years old when he submitted an article to a tiny San Diego-based rock journal called The Door. They liked it and published it. When he was 14, a national publication called Cream rang him up and asked him to write for them. Then in 1973, Rolling Stone magazine hired him. And so, at the startling age of 16, Cameron Crowe was on tour and backstage with the likes of the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Iggy and the Stooges, The Who and Led Zeppelin. Witnessing all the drugs, debauchery and divine decadence, Crowe was more than equipped to provide an inside look at the music industry. Yet for years he struggled with the script, and despite his encyclopedic knowledge, he just couldn't make it work. And then it hit him. Instead of making a movie about a rock band, he would take his own experience and fashion them around the age-old template of the rites of passage. And in that way, Almost Famous would come to resemble another, older American classic. A movie that also charts a journey. A movie that is also about youth, dreams and the getting of wisdom. A movie that also features a band of troubadours making their merry way across country. A movie that also boasts several great songs. I am, of course, talking about... Just as Dorothy Gale dreams of heading over the rainbow, so too does William Miller dream of the far horizon. Dorothy leaves the dusty plains of rural Kansas and William escapes the dull confines of suburban California. Dorothy's life on the farm is monochromatic and it is only when she enters Oz that she sees the world in glorious technicolour. In San Diego, William's mother forbids him to listen to rock and roll and it's only when he goes on tour with Stillwater that he experiences the world in glorious 8-track stereo. Travelling the yellow brick road, Dorothy befriends an unlikely group consisting of the Tin Man, the Lion and the Scarecrow and William takes up with an assortment of musicians, roadies and band-aids. And at the end of it all, just like Dorothy, William spies behind the curtain and discovers there is nothing there. Oh, man. You made friends with them. See, friendship is the booze they feed you. They want you to get drunk and feel like you belong. Well, it was fun. Because they make you feel cool. And hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't. I've said this before, but most filmmakers use songs to give us a sense of time and a place. We hear the opening bars and say, OK, this is the 70s. Or they use the opening bars to secure a quick blast of energy. But while Crow does both things, he does something else. At its best, Almost Famous uses music to say things that the characters don't. And it's not just music Crow uses as forms of expression. He uses clothes as well. Can we just skip the vibe and go straight to us laughing about this? Yeah, OK. Because I can see by your face you want to get into it. How can you tell? I'm just one of the out-of-focus guys. Here. Take it. Let's take a good look at it, all right? See, you love this T-shirt. It lets you say everything you want to say. Well, it speaks pretty loudly to it's me. It's a T-shirt. All great movies violate at least one cardinal rule of storytelling. For instance, every story is supposed to have a hero and a villain. Together, they mean conflict, and conflict means tension. But Almost Famous has no villain. 
at least not in the conventional sense, because here the villain isn't a person, it's an event. William's interview with guitarist Russell Hammond. William needs the interview because without it he has no article. But the wonderful irony is that if he gets the interview, he will complete the article and then will have to go home. So William needs the interview, but he doesn't want it. And what does that mean? Well, a number of things, not least of which is that Russell Hammond then comes to personify the very conundrum that Lester Bangs tried to explain to William before he headed off on his journey. God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. You're going to meet girls. They're going to try to fly you places for free, offer you drugs. And I know it sounds great. These people are not your friends. You know, these are people who want you to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock stars. And they will ruin rock and roll and strangle everything we love about it. Right? And then it just becomes an industry of cool. There are several ways to consider the film. For instance, the portrayal of Penny Lane and the whole notion of the artist's muse or to compare and contrast the facts and fictions of the real rock bands with whom Crow toured and Stillwater, the one he invented for the film. Either way, it all illustrates the deep textures that Crow wove into his story. Visually, his film may be unadventurous, but he has a great eye for character and an even greater ear for dialogue. But in a movie chock full of great performances, great scenes and great music, I think most of us would agree that one scene in particular stands out. Ladies and gentlemen, the evening is over. We hope you all enjoyed yourselves, and we'll see you all again in 1974. Good evening! Blue jean baby, L.A. lady, seamstress for the band. So, why is it so memorable? I think it's because Crow shows that we use music not only as a soundtrack to our lives, but also to express ourselves when ordinary speech fails us. This scene on the bus is about apology and forgiveness, two difficult emotional states, and Crow dramatizes them in a complex but rewarding fashion. Think about it. Russell is by far the most gifted member of the band. They need him and he knows it. The argument over the t-shirt triggered his storming out, dropping acid and proclaiming himself a golden god. Evidently, Russell is on the way to a full-blown egomania. And the band knows it. So, Russell needs to apologise, but he can't. He lacks the humility. And the band needs to forgive him, but they can't, because they lack the clemency. But instead of having a clichéd scene of kiss and makeup, Crow has Elton John's song help them apologise and forgive and ultimately reunite. Under Crow's direction, the lyrics of Tiny Dancer make not a dialogue for the band, but a trialogue for the characters, the song, and the audience, so that we are all able to express things we can't otherwise say. I have to go home. You are home. Lay me down and she's the lady.